Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the House Divided podcast. Uh, my name is Brendan, and I'm here with Jeremy. Jeremy, how are you doing today? Doing good, Brendan. How was uh, how was your trip down to Louisville? Uh, lots of people watching, and I don't know why I mentioned that before the bands, but <laughs> it was, <laughs> I saw some crazy stuff. Uh, I saw somebody. Uh, I saw Spider Man in a few mosh pits. Santa Claus crowd surfing. The entire Power Ranger team. Uh, is but all the bands were fun, and I wish I didn't get sick at the end of it. And if you can hear that in my voice, I apologize. I'm gonna try and keep the sniffles to a minimum. But it was a good time. Good, good. I'm glad. Uh, glad you got back safe and uh, you didn't get. You know, I, it's okay. We'll wait for you to admit that you were one of the Power Rangers, as I said on Twitter. So <laughs> we'll get around to that. And uh, uh, you looked pretty lonely, but we'll we'll address that later. Yeah. I mean, I did get a lot of shit for wearing my Trey Burke jersey down there. Like, I would have thought the people <laughs> of Louisville would have forgot, but they did not. I had one, no. I had one 40-year-old man walk up from behind me and go, you're wearing – Wearing that in the wrong part of the country, buddy. And I was like, "Oh man, I apologize." I guess uh, the black was clean, but sorry. Yeah, it was. Hey, I think uh, no good story has ever started. A forty-year-old man walked up behind me. Absolutely. I think that just continues the trend. That's never a good thing. Well, yeah, never. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, glad you glad you made it through. Uh, so, so the other thing I, I guess I forgot to ask you in the pre-show. Did we ever put up last week's show? Because if not, it happened, people. We did record one. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's so a funny story about that is uh, we recorded that on Thursday night. Or no, it was Wednesday night. And I meant to post it Thursday morning. And there was just an issue where I, we, I wasn't able to post it at the time. And I was like, okay, I'll do it Thursday night when I get into – Louisville but I had a long day of driving ahead of me and wasn't able to do it at the time and I completely forgot until I got a text around 4 30 from Jeremy saying hey did, did you ever post the podcast and uh, it hit me like a brick that I didn't so yeah it got posted at about 1 a.m on Friday night maybe a little bit later and uh, awesome I, I bumped it again Saturday morning <laughs> no that's you know I figured I, it's all right. I just figured you were hiding your your uh, picks against the spread, but that's okay. We uh, <laughs> it'll be out there for the people. They got they got extra. You know, I'm driving down to Columbus tomorrow, so people are going to be in their cars for long trips for tailgating. You got a little extra uh, content to listen to now. No, absolutely. And I and I just for the record did win by one pick. Our picks against uh, the spread because Ohio State covered against Nebraska. Thank you, Buckeye. Did they ever? Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh man. Well, uh, so funny. Saturday, I was at the music festival, and I just kept on refreshing Twitter, and it took forever because MSU is in a close game with Indiana. So uh, let's talk about that, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into it. All right. Uh, so th- forty to thirty-one was the final score. Uh, the most deceiving two-score result I have ever seen. Um, obviously, with them getting that fumble recovery touchdown in the last minute. Uh, yeah, I'll let you say your piece first before I get to the questions, because obviously I didn't get to watch a single second of this game. Yeah, it's uh, it's not uncommon for an MSU-Indiana game. Uh, I if We never really... They're kind of like Northwestern. I guess they're all changing this year. Since Northwestern was easy, we had to have a, a stupid game with Indiana. It kind of reminds me of a game a couple of years ago that was pretty similar, uh, at least in uh, – I think it was the one in 2015 where MSU won 52-26, to but in the fourth quarter that was a one-score game, and then it just – the last five yeah. minutes, Indiana turned it over a bunch. And so if you just looked at the scoreline, it looked – further away than it was I'm gonna say kind of the opposite in this one like yes MSU really only won by three that was a fumble on the last play that was pretty pointless but I never really was that nervous in this game 
even when Indiana scored at the end, I figured if we go to overtime, I think that our defense is going to get a stop first or, you know, anything like that. I, it was a weird feeling uh, to feel pretty confident in our offense, but they were just clicking pretty well. Um, but Indiana, they had a good game plan. They knew just to throw, I think I saw stats on, so Michael Penix had a really good game at quarterback for Indiana. Uh, but I want to say like 80% of his passes were less than five yards downfield uh, in the air. And then his receivers were running with the ball. So they did a lot of bubble screens, a lot of running backs in the flat, just putting guys into uh, a popular Michigan phrase. You know, they put their speed in space, uh, (laughs) you know, and and they did that. And it worked really well. They they found mismatches. They they got uh, their players into, you know, situations where they outnumbered MSU defenders. And and it worked. And they, you know, they dink and dunk their way down the field. And uh, Penix was great. I think he's got a pretty bright future there ahead of him at Indiana. And it's one of those where uh, I, I wrote about it at, uh, at the blog that I run with Jameson on beneath the pines that it kind of felt like a swing game. Cause it, it, it's not a game that we'll look back and say, that's what made the season. But at the same time, if you go to three and two with the next three games that MSU has versus, yeah. you know, being four and one now, uh, you know, bowl eligibility or maybe getting seven or eight wins probably kind of hinged on this game. So they did what they had to do to get the win, but it was uh, it was definitely tighter than you probably wanted it to be. And uh, I think my last bit is just that we've watched enough ugly games where our defense is just holding us in, but we're not scoring. That to be honest, I don't care that it was close. It was just fun that we got into a shootout and we actually scored enough to win a shootout so I think that might be covering up some of my uh what I should be concerned about just the fact that we had a close game but it wasn't because our defense just had to hold us in the entire game yeah and to speak on a couple of your points I mean 71 points in a Michigan State game this season I wouldn't have said is gonna happen uh especially in the MS it might happen Saturday for all we know but yeah (laughs) yeah uh, William, we'll definitely get to all that later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, you look, and that's a really good point. Uh, Penix had 42 throws for uh, 286 yards, only 33 completions. Obviously had a very good game. That was the, the I put a couple questions on there to ask you, and the the main one was like, what's up with the defense? We were talking in the preview last week about how we expected India. We said the magic number is 20. If MSU can score 20, Indiana doesn't have a chance. Right. Like, well, what was happening with the defense? You mentioned a lot of bubble screens. Was that? I, I saw a lot on Twitter about during the game about uh, they just keep running the same play. I think Spartan Avenue, yeah. to credit, set, was complaining about that. What was going on? Yeah, I mean, it was it was variations of, uh, of a, the same play as what it felt like, and they just – uh, they just ran the read and RPO very well. Um, you know, they would give you one look and Penix would keep it or hand it to the back for so the next play. The linebacker would over pursue and he, he just didn't try and force anything. If he had a four yard throw, he made a four yard throw. Um, Nick Baumgartner actually on the athletics day when I was reading his piece, I, I like the way that he put it where they passed like it was a run game on first down. So basically they weren't passing to get a 15-yard gain. They were passing to get four to five yards on first down, the same way that MSU likes to get four to five yards by running on first down. Yeah. Um, so it kind of felt like that. They were just like, you know what, we'll get into second and manageable. It opens up our playbook. We can go with another short pass. We can go with a run. We can, we can do these things. But if we're going to try and get ahead of, the, ahead of the chains, we can't just hand it off on first down. We know MSU uh, will beat us on the line. So – and, and the thing that really, I think, works the most was because of his short passing game, he was throwing the ball so quick that MSU's real strength of the defensive line or blitzing linebackers, it, it didn't matter. They weren't going to have the time to get to him. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is a style that worked for Indiana, but they've also played that for years. So I don't know if every team can, can put that into their book. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously teams like Ohio State or – Penn State, that's going to be a concern that's now on tape, that that's a, a way to beat them. But, um, yeah, I think it was one of those that it's a, it reminded me of a lot of games at D'Antonio's past when we maybe didn't have this good of a defense, but always an offense like this, Indiana offense, or sometimes what Northwestern runs, 
has always, for some reason, just given the defense issues. And uh, it, it doesn't make sense that they don't adjust. But I guess if you do enough to beat those teams and then beat the teams that are better than you by playing your defense, you're going to take the squeak out against Indiana, I guess. Yeah. And uh, that's really interesting, that type of strategy. It's almost like uh, uh, like the Army game plan of just get the four yards at a time, and if you can get that on every play, you're going to end up in a pretty good spot. They're obviously just going about it in a different way. Um, my next question is, is Indiana chaos team again? I don't know. I mean, I always assumed not because Allen runs a little more of a conservative offense, and uh, again, they threw for a lot in it. They, you know, they put up a lot of points, but I wouldn't call what they ran by any means, you know, anything like explosive. Uh, it was still pretty slow paced. It was still uh, just taking what the defense was giving them. But I, with Michael Penix, I'm not going to say they can't be chaos team. They can, they can uh, finally actually pull off one of the upsets. <laughs> they always are a team that just hangs around, but I, you know, I mean, you look at Rutgers and the East firing their coach, I'd much rather be Indiana right now, I think. And uh, low-key, I think if they can play like this with Michael Penix, Purdue and Indiana could be a fun game for the next few years. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, because he was really impressive. I, I hadn't had a chance to watch him at all. Um, just not seen any Indiana games this season. So uh, I came away super impressed. And I, You know, he was a really good quarterback. So I'm kind of intrigued to – to see how they do against some of the other big teams in the league. Yeah, uh, that'll be really interesting. I am very much dreading that game in late November, uh, especially with the whole them just taking the one thing they know they can do against you and just hitting it over and over and over again. And uh, we'll get to it in the Michigan section, but they'll be able to do that with crossing routes probably. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess it's going to be practice for Ohio State for you, right, since that's what killed uh, Michigan last year, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then lastly, the, the last thing I had to say really was, uh, and it's not even a question, is that Brian Lewerke has my full attention. Um, I'm just looking at the stat line, obviously. I've only got to watch about half of the game, but I, I think it has become very clear even from a Michigan perspective, uh, as somebody who maybe doesn't want Lewerke to ex- succeed as much as a Michigan State fan, that last year was very injury-driven how he did. And um, he, he, looked, he seems like a different guy this year. Obviously, he's not being a world beater that a lot of people hoped he'd be his senior year after that awesome sophomore year. But, I mean, another 300-yard performance, three touchdowns, Obviously, the completion percentage isn't all there, but still a pretty solid outing from Lewerke again. Yeah, I think, you know, our podcast, you know, we're all about bringing MSU and Michigan together. So I think we can do that here in the middle and say that MSU fans were probably too high on him after his sophomore year, uh, you know, talking about top first, second round NFL draft pick. and He's going to be uh, this great quarterback. But then I think Michigan fans maybe were overreacting last year about being right that he wasn't that good because it's clear when his shoulder is healthy, he's a different quarterback. Um, You know, from my perspective, the thing that I was most excited by in that game was the 72 yards rushing uh, and the willingness to want to run uh, was something that I was pretty, uh, pretty pumped about because I think it just opens up so much in the offense when, he's actually a threat to keep the ball. Uh, I know Salem has been trying to put in some our, some lower-level RPO and, and things like that, but it's, it's not effective if you know the quarterback's not going to run. It doesn't really play to its full potential. Uh, so him actually getting the, the rushing yards kind of made me uh, pretty excited coming out of the game. Um, you know, in the stadium, it's always hard because I don't get a great signal, so I'm not really staying up on the stats. I was surprised to see – the completion percentage is low as it was. Um, there were some drops throughout the game uh, that could have helped him a little bit, but it felt in the game like he was much more in a groove uh, than it, it did upon, like, further review. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think that's it. I really think uh, it was fun to – as much as Michigan State-Tulsa felt like a 14th game of 2018 at the time, 
Uh, it definitely looks like more of a outlier. I, I really think this MSU offense, uh, they're different this year. And it, it'll be yeah. really interesting to see how they do now up against Ohio State this weekend and then Wisconsin and Penn State really to see how that progress has. Because obviously, you know, they weren't putting 40 up or even, I guess, 34 up on even Indiana last year, really anybody. Um, so we've seen the progress against the smaller teams. It'll be really interesting to see how the progress has unfolded against some of these uh, upper echelon teams in the Big Ten. Yeah, it's actually so not just to correct you. We did actually put 35 against Indiana last year, but 14 oh, points came off of uh, you had uh, one was a punt return touchdown and one was a pick six. So in, uh-huh. in actual, yeah, you know, 21 points by the offense. So yeah, uh, that, that doesn't happen last year. Um, it it wasn't as smooth, and like I said, I don't think you you damn sure don't have two successful two minute drives. Uh, one at the end of the first half and one at the end of uh, regulation last yep. season. Um, and that's, that's a skill that they've shown really uh, early this season that they've done pretty well at. Um, things that they've done well is scoring on the first drive, which you can chalk up a lot to scripting uh, the first drive, but they've also been much better in the hurry-up two-minute drill. So hopefully that's something that they uh, can utilize later in the season as well. Yeah, definitely. Um... Any last thoughts on that game, or should we move on to Michigan? I'll just say we should move on. I mean, I, I'm assuming you've seen more of this game than I did. I saw maybe the first two series, and I think Michigan was up 14 nothing after them. Uh, yeah. It was clear pretty early on. I think the last series I actually saw was when Rutgers stalled out uh, inside the five-yard line or whatever it was when they went, went for it on fourth down. Uh, and it was pretty much over from there. Uh, but what were your uh, thoughts coming out of the game? Yeah, so obviously against Rutgers, especially this Rutgers team, obviously Chris Ash got fired on Sunday after. Um, there's not a lot you can take from it. Uh, but I, I actually did end up watching the whole game. I watched the first half live and then found out about the result and watched the second half on DVR that night. Um, uh, yeah, my couple thoughts are mostly on the offense. Um Patterson actually looked a lot more confident, and I know you could say, like, playing Rutgers will do that for you. However, I would argue he looked a lot more confident than he did against Middle Tennessee State, who's the last team that was the, you know, the kind of cupcake. Um, And obviously not starting out with a fumble does that. Um, I, I was reading into it a lot. I think a lot of it has to do with Josh Gaddis running stuff, that was more suited for Patterson, but he, he looked really, really confident and like he was actually having fun out there, which is probably the first time all year. Um, the run. Well, game, is it like a little bit of a Lewerke? Do you feel like he's healthier now too? Cause that's been something he's been dealing with was the oblique. Uh, did, did it feel like he's healthier now? And that made a difference too? I'm not even sure. I, I, I hope so. Certainly. Um, but there was, there was a little bit, probably, because there was a little bit more of a willingness to run the ball. Um, and speaking of running the ball, that was my other thing. They finally established the run, not, not in the scheme of the game, but they were actually doing some really good things. Uh, their, their stats at the end of the day, I think they only averaged three and a half, four yards a carry. But in uh, Nick Bumgarner's film breakdown, he actually talked about how when they were trying to run the stuff that they were successful at, especially in the first half, they were running for upwards of like five, six yards of carry, and it was going well. Um, the blocking was good. And other than a couple of misses here or there with Turner, uh, the running backs were showing good vision and hitting the holes pretty well. And, and that low yards per carry number is without – they didn't end up getting a run more than 15 yards uh, at a time. But Rutgers was stacking the box quite a bit. There was a lot of times where they were running into an eight-man box, uh, obviously because it was 14-0 within six minutes. It's not a usual type game scenario. But, yeah, the, those were the two positives on the offense. And just like, I mean, I keep throwing it back to that comparison to when Michigan State played Western at the beginning of the year and they just unleashed everything to try and get some confidence. I really feel like that's kind of what was going on. Uh, 
because it, it looked good. You know, they they looked cohesive as a unit, and maybe that has some to do with Gaddis coming down from the press, press box onto the field, uh, or maybe it was just a factor of playing Rutgers. But, yeah, those are my takeaways on offense. Yeah, I mean, and you never have to apologize for taking out uh, a little angst on Rutgers. Uh, you know, we all do it. So uh, it's definitely uh, allowed that, that that eventually has become their uh, their purpose, at least in football to this point, uh, has been, you know, everyone getting to work out some angst against them. Uh, did they even test your defense, though, you know, move it into the defense? Was there anything yeah. that we can kind of read out of that game? Or is it just, you know, I mean, you only can read so much about facing – Sitkowski and and that offense but was what was like kind of a you know more from a film perspective was there some things that stood out to you that you liked about that game crossing routes I mean I I I cannot believe I'm becoming the person to start out with a negative after they pitched a shutout but uh Rutgers they weren't moving the ball at will and obviously they didn't score but they did get down to the two or three yard line at one point just from throwing that same just uh, those crossing routes. And I, Michigan needs to come up with a defense for those because it's starting to get really worrying that this is just going to happen again. Um, but if we're talking standouts, I'll get off that negative because the Michigan crossing routes thing has been talked about ad nauseum ever since last November. Um, some positives is Cam McGrone was in for Josh Ross again, and he looked really good. Uh, lots of speed from that middle linebacker position that they've been missing since Devin Bush left. Um, obviously, he's not quite as fast as Devin Bush, but he was just kind of reminiscent of that. He had a lot of speed and a lot of a lot of toughness. Those hits were fierce. He plays angry. Uh, so that was a plus. Um, at defensive tackle, Michael Dwumfor actually played. So that's a big step forward is that he actually played a whole game. Um Uche looked like an animal again, and I think that's not becoming a single-game thing. I think that's just who he is, even though we only have him playing about half of the snaps. I mean, the defense is talented. They're not as talented as previous Michigan defenses, but there's a lot of bright spots out there. Um, I think we'll find out this weekend how they can really hold up against um, pass against somebody who can actually run the ball. But uh, at the the secondary level, they have a lot of speed. Dax Hill is getting some more time, and Jim Harbaugh talked about how you can probably expect to see him getting more time as the year progresses, so that's fun. Um, so even though I led with the negative on the defense, lots of good signs, and obviously anytime you can pitch a shutout against a Big Ten team, albeit Rutgers, uh, you'll take it. Hey, you got someone fired, and that's always a good feeling. <laughs> uh you know, when you get someone fired, that uh, I, I guess you can take it one of two ways. It's uh, usually if if you're the one that gets someone fired, you're kind of like, wow, us beating them was so bad that that was the last straw. But I don't think that's the case here. I think it was just no. Uh, you know, you kind of showed them that there's no reason to keep Chris Ash around for the rest of the year. Uh, start the coach search now. You know, start talking to people now. So um, yeah, so you uh, you're the coach killers. First coach to go down. Uh, is responsible for you guys. So that's a win, you know, hang a banner. Yeah, hey, hang the banner because, uh, no, I, out of all the losses that Rutgers has taken to, taken to Michigan, uh, this was not the one that I thought would get Chris Ash fired, although it was pretty bad. Um, hey, Chris Ash had a first down in the first half, damn it. Yeah, that's true. See, I don't understand <laughs> it, you know. I, I will never this is forget progress, this. Rutgers. I will never forget that 78-0 beating. That was almost literally just because they were mad at us for doing the satellite camp. So Jim was like, ah, well, we'll ruin them that, forever. That might have been, the, the as a non-rooting uh, interest fan, that might have been the most fun game on Twitter to ever be a part of. Just the, like, <laughs> the trying to see if they could hold them from getting a first down on top of bringing back the fence, the garden jokes. It was uh, a fantastic little run there when we thought Rutgers could maybe force a rivalry with Michigan. Uh, not in a rivalry of like, you know, they ever beat you, but more of a of just yeah. being annoying. And uh, <laughs> They brought out like 50 recruits to that game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Rutgers, baby, what is you doing? Yeah, I know. <sighs> but, yeah, um, <sighs> really the moral of the story here is Michigan really couldn't build off any goodwill by playing Rutgers, and we knew that going in, and we said that, but they didn't mess up. And uh, they, right. they did what they could. There was no – there was nothing really left on the field. Uh, we're going to really find out about them this weekend when they play Iowa at home at noon on Saturday. So, yeah, so let's get into that. Uh, it's, you can't give me that you're playing at Iowa City at night, so you don't have to be afraid there. You guys are not going to be in a pink locker room. You're going to have your comfy confines there in Ann Arbor. I have no read on this game because I can't say that I have a read on what I expect out of Michigan. Um, I think I have a pretty good idea of what Iowa is, but I just don't know what we get from Michigan week to week. Where are you at with this game? Like, What's some of your keys to, that you're going to be watching? Yep, my number one key here is, does Mich- is, is Michigan able to stop the run? And obviously that just sounds like a generic Iowa thing. Uh, but I was going and digging in on some stats on Iowa, and they have three running backs that are between 200 and 300 yards on the season after four games. All of them are. You have, uh, I think it's Mackie Sargent. Uh, not sure if I pronounced the first name right, but he's at 299 yards through 54 carries. And then you have Torin Young and Tyler Goodson, both between 200 and 250 at about 33 carries. So uh, they're going to be able to be versatile, and they're going to just keep on trying to pound it on you. And with what we saw against Wisconsin a couple weeks ago, uh, that's got to be the number one key because Nate Stanley's good, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But if they're able to own the time of possession and just keep on getting those three- to five-yard runs and pound it down your throat uh, – I don't see a way Michigan wins the game. If you can maybe get a stop on first down and force them into throwing situations, throw some blitzes at them, I think you'll be looking at a lot better result. Yeah, so it it feels like the game, though, that this is the game that if if they struggle, do you lose some confidence in Don Brown? Like This is the type of game where I know Don Brown can draw up a plan to just ruin Nate Stanley's day. Um, You know, I know he can't do it maybe against some of the more, uh, you know, more non-traditional offenses, I guess, is the way way I'll term it. But but this feels like it's a Don Brown special here. Um, And if he he can't put together a game, you know, if Michigan loses some ugly 13-10 game, like that's not going to be on Don Brown. But if if this becomes a game like the Wisconsin game, uh, in any respect, uh, even without that much of a blowout, but just kind of a domination of the Michigan defense, that would be pretty shocking would, and, and, and concerning. It would be very concerning. Uh, you know, Iowa, they're a good team, but I really – like. I mean, their biggest result on the year was that win at Iowa State, which is still a good win. Doesn't look as good anymore after Iowa State lost by like three scores last weekend. Uh, and it was such a weird game. They had what? It was, it was very like 10 weird. hours with all the weather delays. Yes. Just a weird game. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, you really do want to see something encouraging, and I really think it starts with that Michigan defensive front. Um, it, it we'll get to uh, Nate Stanley because he's already through four games. He's almost at 1,000 yards. They've Sure, you have a Rutgers game in there. You have the Middle Tennessee State game in there. But so does Michigan, and Shea Patterson is not. I do not believe at around thousand yards. Um, So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how the defense lines up. I do think that's a good point that it seems like this could be a Don Brown type game where he can just, if you get those stops on first down runs, then he can throw some stuff at Nate Stanley where he ends up with a really dumb stat line and feel shaken by the end of it. Uh, but okay, Patterson's at 900 yards. So, it, it, but it'll be really interesting, and I think that's where the game will be won and lost. Actually, I know all the attention is on the offense because of all the changes this year and how that Wisconsin game went. But I think this game is going to be won and lost when Iowa has the ball. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that's uh, that's the thing. Nate Stanley doesn't have any interceptions this year. Uh, you know, and that's been a big uh, improvement for him. Uh, his completion percentage is up by five percentage points. Uh, so yeah, he's had a great start to the year. But I agree with you. It's not like they've been especially challenged. Maybe outside of that Iowa State game, and just as we talked about with the weird weather from that game, I, I don't have that individual game stat in front of me. But I'd imagine he wasn't throwing a ton. Uh, was probably a pretty uh, actually, they threw it 35 times in that game. Most he's thrown all year. So never mind. I know nothing about football. <laughs> this is what that's teaching me. Uh, yeah, but that was his lowest yardage game. So I'm assuming probably a lot of short throws, um, you know, not wanting to put the ball up into the rain and win for a long completion and things like that. So he's been really good. Um, he has been sacked in every game, though. So that does seem like something where Michigan, if they can get some of their blitzes home, uh, that would be the way to uh, to try and force them into a mistake. Yeah, it, it, and that really is a key. I think you got to keep them probably between thirteen and twenty points. Um, and, and I think Michigan's capable of doing that. Uh, I think the beginning of the game is really going to do a lot to tell uh, how it goes. Uh, to flip to the other side of the ball, Iowa's defense has been very impressive. They're averaging less than ten points a game against. Um, only only allowing 250 yards per game, and they're playing some really disciplined football. Uh, and this is on both sides of the ball. They're only averaging 26 penalty yards per game, four games in. So that'll be really key for Michigan to uh, force some penalty yardage, definitely. Are you going to be in the stadium for this one? I will be. This is one of my uh, two remaining games I have this year. I'm going. I'm going to okay. be down there on Saturday. Uh, it's homecoming. It's I looked up the weather. It's going to be around 58, 59 degrees, partly cloudy. It's a, basically a perfect fall Saturday down there. Uh, yeah, for yeah. I'm interested. I'm interested to see. Uh, you know, I'll be. I'll definitely be uh, following your Twitter. I want to see. I think you make a good point that early going to that game. I know records just happened, but it's going to be an interesting stadium to read if it gets. Just not a great start. Oh, I'm not saying that Iowa runs away with it by any means. I think this is going to be a game that stays close all the way to the end. I think it's going to be one that Michigan will not be blown out in this game. There's no way I, I don't really see that happening. Uh, but it will be interesting to see just the fan base, I won't say, seems paranoid or over, you know, overreacting right now. But they just seem a little shook. And that can always make for a weird stadium when – things don't start off hot, you know, and, yeah. uh, and that can be uh, really, really something interesting to watch, uh, especially for a home game because this that should play to your advantage uh, yeah. going up against Iowa is being at home. Uh, you would hate to see the crowd get taken out of it if you're a Michigan fan. I think that that could be something to watch. Absolutely. I think if Michigan gets a ball first and goes down and it gets a yeah. score, especially getting in the end zone, I think – it might be a long day for Iowa fans. If uh, if the game starts with Iowa getting the ball and going and scoring a touchdown on a six- or seven-minute drive and then Michigan doesn't get any points coming back, then I think it's going to be a very long day for Michigan fans. Um, which brings me to my key stat of the game for this one, for Michigan to win, is keep Iowa under 100 rushing yards going into the fourth quarter. I think if you had them ah. – I think if you have them under that 100-yard mark, because I know that's what they're going to try and do, especially with the film that there is on Michigan, if you're going into the fourth quarter with them under 100 rushing yards, I really think you're either going to have the lead or it's going to be a, very, a close defensive gross type game. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good, a good stat to keep an eye on. Uh, and if you're at that point going into the fourth quarter, you got to feel pretty good about – uh, where Michigan's at with a, with a either holding Iowa down or they've got a big enough lead to where they've forced Iowa to be one-dimensional and have to throw a lot. So I think, uh, yeah. yeah, if they can pull that off, I think they're going to be sitting pretty uh, pretty comfortable going into the fourth quarter if that's uh, a stat that comes through. Yep, and we will save our against the spread prediction for that segment. So uh, I think it's yeah. time to move on to – Michigan State and Ohio State, the game that Michigan fans know is the one where we'd be happy if a meteor hits the stadium. And, uh, yeah, 
And you're gonna. Uh, I will not be rooting for that though, because you are going to be at the stadium, aren't you? I am a masochist. I have no. I don't know why I'm doing this, Brendan. Why am I doing this? Why am I going to Ohio Stadium for this? I don't know, man. I, it's it's going to be a great time. I've actually never been uh, to a road game um, oh, wow. for MSU. I actually, I actually thought about it uh, for football stadiums. It's probably like pretty by far the lightest thing for me as far as like experience. Um, I've only been to three, <laughs> so I've been to Spartan Stadium, obviously. Uh, Lover's Stadium, which is where Grand Valley plays uh, and where I was a student. And I've been to the big house, but I've been to the big house for hockey. So I still haven't even been to the big house for a football game. So this will be my first uh, MSU road experience. I uh, luckily am going with three really good friends that are uh, Ohio State fans. And I think we're hopefully sitting in a pretty chill section. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Not, you know, I'm definitely going to be pretty, uh, pretty reserved. you know, and not uh, try and draw too much attention to myself because I've got enough advice from my Michigan friends on how to behave down there yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, to avoid to avoid uh, a lot of bad outcomes. But, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be a fun experience to go there. I'm, I wish it wasn't a night game, but it also makes it a pretty cool experience. It'll um, be a cool atmosphere for I sure, think yeah. I to do that. I, yeah. I also haven't been doing a away, away game uh, it, for college football, at least, uh, or any football. But um, it, it, it should be fun. I want to get down to Ohio Stadium eventually. Just the – might wait for some rivalry tides to possibly turn for that. Uh, but Yeah, that you know, might be wise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I yeah. had a friend who was yeah. there last year for the 62-39 thing, and that was, he was like, man, it was probably the worst four hours of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I can say this. I've parked in the <gasps> parking lot of the shoe. That's about as far as my experience goes. Uh, I parked in the parking lot to then go. Uh, uh, I think I was just walking around campus and then went to their horrible ice arena that they have. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Uh, I know you probably don't want to. I'm just kidding. I I, I shouldn't paint it like that. But oh let's no, get no, into no. The you're, game. you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm gonna lead with a stat, and. This is a list of the Ohio State point totals through five weeks. 45, 42, 51, 76, and 48. Now, they're going, I'm really excited for this game because they're about to play the best defense in the country. Uh, what, are, what are your keys to keeping them under 30? Oh, man. It's... It's almost to the point of it's hard to think of what I should answer that with and not sound completely unreasonable in saying it. Um, I think, you know, Justin Fields has had a great start to the season. Uh, I don't think by any means we're going to shut him down. Uh, And J.K. Dobbins is, you know, even if we can get after Fields, uh, we've got to watch J.K. Dobbins. So I think think the main thing that they can do is try and – early on in the game, get Ohio State off schedule, you know, get a sack on first down, uh, disrupt their RPO plays that they like to run. Anything to make them kind of question their game plan, because if you let them feel comfortable, even if they're not putting up points, they know that over a a game with, you know, 10 possessions or so, they're going to put points up and it's going to be enough to win. So I think you've got to get them out of the groove, get them kind of – a little flustered. Um, I would love to have it be, you know, a low scoring first half and just have them, let's see how they respond to some adversity there. Uh, I think the most adversity they've had all season is being down five, nothing to my, my Chuck Martin by Miami of Ohio. Uh, so that would be like the first time that they maybe have to answer to something and, and feel a little, feel a little nervous in a game. Uh, yeah. And so I think that would be uh be, Easier said than done, but I think that's something that if we can get to where it's like a 14-10 game at half, just see what happens in the second half. Yeah. And you know what? It'd also be nice if we can get – I don't care that I'm going. Uh, if we can get it to be about 40 degrees and raining like sideways, that'd be cool. I'd be okay <laughs> with that. Uh, it seems to work against Michigan and Ohio State, so let's, let's try that again. 
Yeah, no, that's probably that's a top five game plan. Um, get the rain dancing going. Uh, you'll be miserable at the time, but if you can walk out of that horseshoe with a win, I guarantee you won't. None of it'll matter. Um, the next question, and I, I this feels because obviously all the kids on Michigan State are talented, and all the kids on Ohio State are talented. The the question I wrote in my notes was, does MSU have the talent to keep up? And I. Uh, that's not as much like a – we're not even talking about scheming at all. It, just do they have the guys? Um, this Ohio State team, I believe I read 60 players that were either four or five stars, which obviously is just the complete antithesis to D'Antonio's recruiting philosophy. It's just take the kids you like and mold them into what you want to be. Uh, but that has to be the major question going into this is just do they have the natural talent to keep up with those guys? I think the only spot you could try and talk yourself into that is maybe on the defensive line. Yep. Uh, that's going to be a matchup. I, and that's not to say that. I think uh, Ohio State's offensive line is anything but great. Um, but I think that's the only, you know, just kind of steal phrase from our strength coach. That's like your steal on steal moment there. Um, is you have uh, one of the best defensive lines in the country up there with like Auburn and some of the other great D lines in the country. Uh, and then one of the really good offensive lines. So I think that's a spot where I can see MSU uh, competing. Before last weekend, I would have maybe said the defensive backfield, but they kind of got exposed a little bit against Indiana. And one thing that's concerning is Josiah Scott really struggled with height at wide receiver. Um, for the first time in his career, even though, you know, he's been 5'9 his entire career, but uh, it's, it's the first time that someone really had success going after him like that. Um, so, yeah, I think the D-line is probably the only spot you can even try and talk yourself into that. Uh, but this is the Big Ten, so I would be remiss if I didn't say, Brendan, we can compete at punting. All right. <laughs> Jake Hartbarger. Yeah. And so I'm half facetious here, but he really has made a difference. Uh, yeah. you know, you know, having a punter, I think the per punt yardage has gone up 15 to 20 yards over where we were last year. And it just helps every little bit, you know, uh, shorter field for your offense when they get the ball back, uh, the defense pinning them. So, so that's, that's my two spots. I'm going to say punter and maybe defensive line. Other than that, it's going to have to come down to scheme. going to have to come down to forcing, you know, maybe Ohio State's not playing at a hundred percent or making some mistakes. Uh, it's going to be, you know, when you're, when you're out talented by this wide of a margin, you just need some things to break your way. And, yep. and sometimes your fans may get mad about that and, and complain that people say it's lucky if we beat Ohio state, but all I care about is getting a win. So if we get the win and, uh, it's lucky, I don't even care. I just want to, you know, have the team, you know, look, look good enough to, to not just regret this entire month. Yeah, and and honestly, I mean they, uh, the you mentioned punter, and we we're gonna get some laughs out of that. But if this game gets ugly and there's weather and Ohio State keeps turning the ball over and it's like one of those fourteen ten type games at half, that field position battle will matter. I mean, yeah, there's no reason to. 2015 Michigan Michigan State. Obviously, it came down to the stupid thing at the end of the game, but. In on offense and defense, Michigan State outplayed Michigan. However, that field position was the reason Michigan should have won that game, and they were even in a position to. In in tight, ugly games, it can matter a ton. And uh, it, I hope for you that it does make a difference, because that means it'll be uh, it'll be a fun fun evening at least. Um, yeah, that, I mean, I I think pre that pre the the end of that game for whatever joke. You know, MSU fans may want to make about, uh, you know, Michigan dropping the punt. I was prepared to say that guy won Michigan the game. <laughs> he oh, was yeah. He outstanding. The... He was outstanding all game. So, he was. And I said the same thing about, um, you know, to bring it back to Ohio State a little bit, it was, you know, they did end up beating Alabama in the semifinal game, but pre them beating him, J.K. Scott basically kept Alabama in that game. So, um yeah, no, it's it's something that if it's a close game could be uh, a big difference over like last year when we played them and the defense was making stops and the offense wasn't getting anywhere. 
we weren't able to put Ohio State in short fields or, you know, they were able to just wear the defense down. So, uh, so that and I think a lack of turnovers, you know, if we can have some ball security, that's going to be big. Yep. So that leads me to my question. Uh, what, what's your key stat? Man, key stat. Uh, you know what? I think my key stat is that the offense has to have no more than one three and out. Um, That's a good one. You know, it's, I, I don't, I won't kid you and say that I think we can play, you know, and, and dominate the time of possession because uh, we can't really play a style that's really slow and prodding against them. Uh, you know, they, they're just too talented of a defense to think that you can just do that. Um, but if we are getting into three and outs where our defense is going right back onto the field, it's, it's not going to be pretty. So uh, getting a few first downs every possession, moving the ball at least a little bit to help with the field position battle, those are things that are going to matter. Um, yeah. And, you know, and I'm, you know, I know uh, I don't expect the rain from the uh, the Michael Geiger game where we beat Ohio State with the backup QBs, but it, that showed me that Mark Jones is willing to do some really weird game planning when he has to to try and pull off a huge upset. Uh, you know, they have to come up with something like that. That's how good Ohio State is. They need something that they won't do the rest of the season just to get through this game, um, and, and that'll be uh, a way that, you know, that's something else I'll be kind of watching for. Yep. All right. Well, uh, there, there's your guys' previews on this weekend. It's a huge weekend for both teams here. I mean, Joel Klatt called it the called it the pivotal game in the Jim Harbaugh era for Michigan, which is a bunch of baloney because every game against a ranked team is is that. That's right. But, I, think, uh, I think that's just to get some eyes on the game there yeah. for uh, for Klatt. Yeah. For <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, uh, it, it's still a very big game against a ranked opponent, and I do think that this could be a turning point for the season if they lose towards maybe a 7-5 and five or an 8-4. and four. And if they win, we just keep chugging along until they play uh, at Penn State in a couple weeks. And then, obviously, you know, you're playing who uh, – Michigan State's playing who I think has been the best team in the country so far this year in Ohio State. So it'll be it'll be an interesting weekend, and – my favorite thing is that the games are both on at opposite times, so I get to watch both of them. Uh, so you do, and you even get like a nap time in the middle there. So, yeah, uh, it, it'll can... probably the the MSU football game will probably be on a second screen for a while because uh, Saturday night's the Red Wing season opener, but it, it'll still be on. Yep. And, yeah, yeah, it'll be a fun uh, fun game. Uh, I'll have the opposite experience of being able to. I'm happy you guys are at noon because I uh, can kind of hang out at my buddy's house, watch the game, uh, get a little, uh, get a little uh, the engine started there with some of the bats and some white claws, and then uh, <laughs> head on out. Yep, and that leads us into our fun game. We just started this on the fly last week. I think it's going to be really enjoyable to keep up with this every week. I'm going to pick every Big Ten game against the spread, both of us. I am one and all. Let it be known, uh, because yeah, I actually got a text from Jeremy Friday night. He's like, I think I might have a lead in the uh, in our against the spread picks, and I had no internet connection, so I was like, I was like, really, what's going on? And he's, he told me Penn State was yeah. one fifty nine to zero. Penn State had me feeling confident. Yeah, and then you got the opposite experience there on Saturday night where. Uh, about four minutes into the game, it was pretty clear that uh, I don't think the plus 17 was happening yeah. <laughs> for Nebraska. Maybe yep. if I, I meant that as a first quarter line, not a, not a game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's get started. Um, well, I, I'll make the first pick and we'll go back and forth with that. Um, our first game is Iowa at Michigan with Michigan minus three and a half. Uh, so this one is a really – I will, it's a really good spread from Vegas because I I didn't really know what to take, but I have ultimately decided I'm going to take Michigan um, and go with the only way they don't cover that spread is if some really weird El Asico type stuff ha starts happening to them. Uh, but I really think the offense is going to put together a decent game plan, hopefully take some momentum, and hope that Don, Don Brown draws up something fun. Okay, yeah, man, uh, I am struggling to see what I uh, could put for this. 
I'll go, I think I'm going to go Iowa minus three and a half, but I don't necessarily, I wouldn't take Iowa straight up on the money line or anything like that. Um, it just feels like a game where maybe Michigan wins on a late, uh, late field goal to go ahead or, you know, just holds on to a lead. Um, but I, I think it'll be close, but I, I do think, I think Michigan gets the win, but Iowa covers the three and a half. Oh man, that is a fine line you're walking. I love it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. And then it's your turn again. Shared money have, don't make money, Brendan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have Kent state at Wisconsin. Wisconsin is favored by 35 and a half. We both got bit by c- picking them to cover against Northwestern last week. Uh, what say you on this game? Oh, man. Uh, is this a look-ahead game for Wisconsin? I don't know. Uh, you have to balance out Wisconsin. Could they be looking ahead to MSU next weekend? Uh, but they also probably want to show up after being pretty awful last week against uh, <laughs> Northwestern. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say that Wisconsin's going to cover that 35 and a half. That's, yeah, that, that's, a slam, I, that's a slam dunk. They're going to destroy Kent. Yeah, so just – I'm also going to take them to cover. Really interesting, They the only other comparable game on Kent State's schedule was they played Auburn on the road, lost 55-16. to 16. So, yeah. So, I'm going yeah. Yeah, to take Wisconsin as well, though. I really think that they're going to come out and uh, just physically dominate them like they tend to do against those MAC schools, uh, similar to what they did against Central Michigan. Yeah, I would say, yeah, they, they beat Central 61 to nothing. That's not a great look for the Mac. I'm not feeling confident there. Yeah. All right, our next game is Purdue at Penn State. Penn State is a 28-and-a-half point favorite. I know what they did to Maryland, and I know what happened to Purdue against Minnesota, but I cannot bring myself to trust Penn State to cover 28-and-a-half. I'm taking Purdue. Yeah, I'm – I, I don't care if they beat Maryland by 59 to nothing. I'm still not convinced they're very good or, or as good as their ranking. Let's put it that way. I think Penn State's a fine team, but I just don't know. I mean, they, the only team that I think they've played with any type of a pulse in Pittsburgh, they won 17 to 10 and it was ugly. Uh, and really, Pat Narduzzi kind of messed that game up uh, for his team. So, yeah, he did. Uh, that's a lot of points to give them against Purdue. Um, you know, and, and it's going to start getting to the point here where Purdue is basically, you know, they're planning to get to a bowl game, uh, but they're also probably at this point playing to try and just like ruin one team season, uh, you know, get one big upset. And I'll yep. say that they, I don't, I won't say that they'll pull off the upset here, but they'll play well enough to stay within that number. So I, I'll agree with you. I'm going to take Purdue. Yeah, I think so. All right, the next one we have is Maryland on the road against Rutgers. We have Maryland as a 12-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, it's, it's your pick. All right, this is, I'm just going to go hot with it. I will take – no, but I'm not going to. No, it's going to be Maryland. Maryland will cover. Uh, they <laughs> they get back on there. I almost wanted to go Rutgers on the money line, but I'm not going to – we're not to desperation mode here where I need to start making these upsets. Uh, I think you'll see a motivated Rutgers, but that'll fade pretty quick. Yeah, give me Maryland. You you had me for a second. I also am taking Maryland to cover 12 and a half. I think they're going to, you know, we talked about Rutgers being the perfect Big Ten remedy to take out your anger against. I think they're what Maryland's going to do. Um, <laughs> I really thought you were about to take Rutgers. Um, <laughs> I, I had to think about it. I was staring at the Seahawks neon green jerseys, and I was entranced. And, yeah, oh, I man. just can't do it. Can't do it. All right. Now we have uh, two, actually two in a row of peak Big Ten West. So our first one is Illinois traveling to Minnesota. Minnesota, 14-point favorite. Um, it's my pick this time. Uh, I'm actually going to take Minnesota to cover. They actually convinced me a bit against Purdue last weekend, and I really think Illinois is just an abysmal team that's not going to have any success in the Big Ten this year. See, I had to walk it back last pick because I knew this was coming. I will take Illinois to cover, and you know what? I think they win. I will take Illinois to win outright. All right. Uh, Minnesota has played with fire all season. 
Uh, I think that, you know, if Illinois can get a game like they did against Nebraska where, yeah, they, they gave up the lead and they let it kind of slip away, and it was a weird game that whole way. Uh, but I, I think this Illinois team is, is going to get someone, and I, and I think it's going to be Minnesota this week. Wow, okay. That'll be a fun – that gives us a reason to watch that game. Uh, all right, so then the uh, second to last one is uh, another peak Big Ten West is Northwestern at Nebraska. Um, it's, it's at Nebraska, and they are a seven-point home favorite. It is your turn to make the first yeah. pick. The league should do us all a favor and put this on at, like, 8 a.m. so we don't yeah. have to watch it. Yeah. Oh, my God, what, what a brutal game. Um, God, they both suck. I, I'm going to take Northwestern, I guess. I, I know. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I think they actually can score on Nebraska. Nebraska's defense has been uh, the opposite of black shirts once again. Um, you know, I, I think they'll uh, Nebraska will win outright, but they it'll be close. I really wish that we would have just agreed on these two games, so I didn't have to pay attention to them. Uh, but I'm going to take Nebraska. Uh, I I really think there's two options here, and one of them is them getting absolutely humiliated by Ohio State and just finishing the season with their tail between their legs. And the other option is them rebounding and just putting Northwestern in a world of pain. I think Scott Frost is too good of a leader to let the, the former happen. And I I don't know how bad they're going to beat Northwestern, but I really do think they'll cover a seven-point spread. Which brings us to our last game, the one of special interest to everybody listening to this podcast. Michigan State at Ohio State with the world-famous Jeremy Dewar in, a, in attendance of the Podcast Divided podcast. House Divided podcast, I use our Twitter handle. Uh, Ohio State's a 20-point favorite. That is insane. What's more insane is that I'm taking them to cover that spread because I have taken them to cover every spread all year, and I'm pretty sure I'm 5-0 and in that. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you. There's no way. Uh, you know, it's even if MSU can hang around for a while, it just feels like it's going to be a game where uh, they're not going to score enough. The defense is going to wear down, and Ohio State just kind of slowly stretches out a lead. Uh, or it's like the uh, the game a couple years ago where they racked up 325 yards rushing with Mike Weber just going off, and it was over, you know, in three series. So um, I think Ohio State covers. Uh, even if Ohio State covers, I may very well leave that stadium thinking that we played well enough to believe we could beat Wisconsin or Penn State. Uh, but I definitely think Ohio State covers. All right, so we're in agreement there. So, again, two weeks in a row, me and Jeremy disagree on three games. Um, these games, one of them is going to be fun, and it's that Michigan-Iowa game. I have Michigan to cover. He has Iowa. Uh, the other two are our peak Big Ten West games. So I really hope it comes down to us watching Nebraska and Northwestern at 645 as you're about to enter the horseshoe. <laughs> Yeah, uh, put some respect on Lovey Smith's name. He's the last Bears coach to go to a Super Bowl. Put some respect on his name, PJ Fleck. You're going down. Okay, yes. And that's what we'll uh, – that'll be our last football item. Um, I know we're already at about an hour, but this will be quick, five, ten minutes. Um, we just uh, – the Big Ten basketball media days for this week. And uh, – we're just going to touch on a couple things. Um, I, I'll start with just basketball items for Michigan, and if you have any for Michigan State, and then we'll end on the uh, California NLI bill or whatever. Um, so the couple things that stood out to me was Isaiah Livers is primarily going to play at the three, and Xavier Simpson actually said that he thinks he's that Franz Wagner is capable of playing at the two. So I think that's really big um, in terms of Michigan's starting lineup. They're going to be huge if that's the case because, uh, I mean, obviously Xavier Simpson's not the biggest guy in the world, but then to have Franz Wagner, Isaiah Levers, Brandon Johnson, John Teske is a potential. Uh, the, the rest of the starting lineup, just absolutely massive. And then uh, the other two items, I guess, will be real quick, is just 
Brandon Johns got some unwar- unwarranted, like not unwarranted, but uh, unprompted hype without anybody asking. And I believe it was Isaiah Livers said that John Teske is going to be a monster this year. Uh, so those are both encouraging things to see, especially the Teske thing with, uh, with Juwan Howard coming in. A lot of people were hoping that maybe Teske would learn some more post moves and how to dominate in there and use his size. And just from the press conference sounds of it, maybe he is learning to do so. Yeah, yeah, I think that's all exciting. Uh, the Brandon Johns hype uh, may originate with me because I'll hype that kid up all I want. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's a good uh, good little synopsis there. Uh, I would say MSU basketball. I don't think we really learned anything. <laughs> um, no, you don't have uh, to. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think we're still just watching. I think Josh Lanford's the most intriguing preseason storyline going on with the team, um, just to know like where he's kind of at. In regards to uh, you know his health and coming back at a hundred percent, you know I, I assume early on in the season he's going to be on like a basketball version of a pitch count, not playing a ton. Uh, but no, it was another media day, another day of Tom Izzo uh, trying to humble his team and say that they might be a little overrated as as he tends to do every season. Um, yeah, so pretty pretty standard Big Ten uh, media days. I think the biggest thing basketball-wise going around campus right now is that the Pistons are running their uh, training camp at Breslin. Oh, yeah. Um, Have you seen uh, any players just walking around yet? I have not. No, I saw that uh, Isaiah Thomas was around, though, uh, the other day. Um, And uh, as I'm scrolling through Twitter here, it looks like Blake Griffin uh, might have told a story about Tom Izzo's recruiting visit, so that could be funny. Um, But, yeah, no, I haven't seen much – much of them uh, around campus or hanging out anywhere that I've been at. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, that's kind of going on. So it's been kind of fun uh, as a cool little, uh, obviously the Pistons are owned by an MSU alum. Uh, so it's kind of cool to have them on campus and, and doing their training camp uh, out of the Breslin right now. But yeah, yeah. I think MSU basketball wise, just until we find out what's going on with, uh, with Josh Langford and where he's at, it's, it's really just waiting for the games. Yep. And that, uh, I, I envy you, sir, because there's a lot of speculation to do on the Michigan side. It's exciting, and it gives us some content. But, uh, yeah, it'd be nice to have that sure top five team in the nation. <laughs> um, uh, it is it is nice, but I can tell you what, just be prepared for Saturday night on Twitter if the Ohio State game goes the way we think it will. There will be an, uh, an obnoxious amount of MSU fans just telling you that it's basketball season. So, yep. uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> And uh, just to get the one more thing out of the way, I'm not going to get super in-depth until it actually matters. But um, Juwan Howard kind of didn't say anything when asked about the California NLI bill. And for those of you who don't know, uh, somehow California has uh, proposed a bill, and I believe it has gone through, talking about how college players should be able to profit from their likeness, which just seems like an absolute no-brainer to me. However, plenty of people in the sporting entertainment world are making clowns of themselves over it. Juwan Howard elected not to comment, which is just kind of a cop-out to me. I I know it's cool that he's focusing on recruiting and basketball and stuff, but it it only seems just that these kids can at least profit from their names being on jerseys and – all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, to see him not just speak up for the players was a bit frustrating, and that's kind of been my stance for years now is that just speak up for the players. But uh, that that's all I wanted to get out there about it, um, and there's no need to dwell on it because it's really a nothing story. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say in defense of Juwan Howard, it's a unique situation for him, I think. Um, he's caught in a no-win situation. I think uh, – uh, there, if he says, uh, if he does go to bat for the players, the amount of just Fab Five focused jokes and and trolling that comes out of it is just obnoxious. So that's true. Um, you know, so I think that I think he was a little bit calling a no win, and he's a new coach to the college game. And I know he, uh, um, you know, he had that my extremely minor slip up where. 
he happened to mention that they were recruiting Franz Wagner on a on a radio show right after he got hired and that you're actually, not supposed to mention uh, a recruit's name and that that actually he had already sent his uh, signed his letter of intent. Right, that, right. So it was, was a nothing story, but people tried to make it a story. And yeah. I, so I think he's probably a little gun shy right now. Whereas someone like Izzo, who's been around for a while and he's obviously never shut his mouth about anything, uh, will will definitely give you his opinion. Um, so so I, I don't really think I would hold that too much against Juwan. And also, I mean, we have till 2023 where this even goes active and uh, in the state of California. So yeah. he's got some time to yep. to really explore it and, and see what uh, see if the Michigan legislature does anything similar. Yep, and there is Jeremy with the always level-headed take. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> Listen, we bring we bring the fan bases together, and uh, you just made me go to bat for Jawan Howard. So I think I need to go <laughs> take a shower. All right. Well, with that, um, it's been a great episode, and thank you guys all so much for listening. Uh, this one is going to be out Thursday night, so hopefully you get it for your Friday morning commute and uh, drives to various football games this weekend. Make sure you're subscribing to our page on SoundCloud, um, and we will see you guys next week or maybe early next week with a hockey pre season preview episode. Woo! It is that time of year, baby. All right. All right, everybody, signing off.